Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Avatar, the last airbender. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Streaming in Place. Uh, yesterday, I said we were starting week 13. No, it's week 14 here. My bad. Um, and we've got some good news. Uh, and uh, Noel's going to share with us. And then we have some listener feedback before we even get to this uh, this week's episode, today's episodes. So, Noel, what's our exciting, happy, good news? Our exciting, happy, good news, especially for Kate, um, as a person who bought Blu-rays but does not have a Blu-ray player. <laughs> um, yeah, and I wish you had, I wish you had told me. I should have so realized I that. I could have told you that your Xbox does not have a Blu-ray player in it. Um that um Netflix is is has transferred the stream to an HD version of the episodes uh as of yesterday. So that should be rolling out, um, at least in the United States, as listener and chat buddy and good friend of streaming in place Marcus knows. It's not in HD in Canada yet for some reason. We don't know why. But in the US at least, HD versions of the episodes with like Noticeable differences, like The Verge did a side by side comparison of the same shot, and yeah, no, there's a difference, and I'm glad I wasn't taking crazy pills um, <laughs> when I was complaining about this when it first dropped in S in standard def. So HD versions on Netflix finally, so Kate doesn't have to buy Blu-rays again or DVDs. <laughs> well, I could or watched a Blu-ray them. player. <laughs> I could have watched them on my laptop, but I just I thought it was a better use of the of the the you know, the, the options available. Like I thought it was a better thing to, to gift it to my sister. I mean, it, it, it is her birthday today. So ha- oh, ha- happy birthday well, to good. my sister. Who's happy probably birthday. not listening. Seeing as she hasn't watched <laughs> yet, but you know, someday when she catches up, yeah, when she catches up, she was, she was listening along to, to, to some of Lucifer. Cause she was watching along with some, some of Lucifer before it got too busy. But anyways, um, we also got a comment at the website um, from Vince. Who's been watching along and uh, we should, we should give our thoughts because I absolutely agree. Vince says there's one thing that kind of bugged me about episode 15, Uncle Lazy lusting after June. That was kind of gross. It's just a really quick moment of when like they're knocked out and Zuko's like, wait, did you get stung? And he's like, shut up. Um, because June has fallen on top of him. And in what I decided, which is not what is on, in the text, but what I had decided that he's like, I'm trying to play possum here so they don't yeah. sting me. That's not what it's supposed to be. I don't think. I'm curious if you guys have thoughts on that. Yeah, I read it the same way. You, I've read it kind of consistently the same way you did, but it's um, it's still an issue. Yeah. Either way. Oh, I definitely read it the way that Vince did, and then like Kate sort of head cannoned it out. I for, yeah, okay. because there are a couple other little moments where he's like, "Wow, we," and it's not quite as big yeah. as that, right? Like it's not like an awooga, but it's awooga adjacent. Um, and I, I just sort of decided he was very impressed by her skills uh, and then, yeah, was playing possum. But, um, you know, honestly, if uh, if I had to be mad <laughs> about every misogynistic thing that happens in every piece of media I watch, I would never watch anything, um, including the things that are including many of the things that are supposedly super duper feminist. So, um yeah, I, I guess I just caught that one and decided to let it go, which maybe I shouldn't do. But yeah, Vince, you are correct. Thanks a lot for bringing it up. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Vince says, also, I'm not so sure about Katara and Aang as a future couple, which is, I feel is pushed on the audience a little hard right now. First, we get that scene in episode 14 with Sokka calling Aang a powerful bender and Katara's reaction of hearing her brother saying those words being framed as a kind of epiphany. Epiphaface. And then there is their banter at the end of episode 15, which was really funny, but felt a little too grown up for my taste, especially on Aang's side. Uh, as Taylor Swift described it, quote, the playful conversation starts counter counter all your quick remarks like passing notes in secrecy, end quote. Um, if Katara is like 15 and Aang is something like 12, I totally get that he would fall for her, but in my experience, it takes a lot more maturity and training to have or fake that ease when interacting with someone you're attracted to, let alone someone you have a crush on. To have enough confidence to not weigh every single word and to some extent to take the person you are smitten by off the pedestal that you yourself put them on. Uh, 15 would be really young for that, especially if you had never been in a situation like that before, which I would assume is the case with Katara 
more since her brother seemed to be the only boy her age in her village. But there's no way Aang is even close to being mature enough for that. And I do think that they are pushing them as a as a potential future couple a bit. But for me, the the he really is a powerful bender moment is less about her being attracted to Aang, but more just her recontextualizing him as other than kid little kid brother so like it's just like oh this is a person he's because like yes he's the avatar that she says that she knows that but it's a she still very much thinks of him as that that's why that's why i think it's so significant that he doesn't go into the avatar state like we were talking about before the avatar state um in that moment because he is in control he is bending it's not this avatar state bending through him and so for me, while I agree with what you're saying, Vince, I, that moment didn't hit me as strongly because it felt more like, less like a shipping moment and more like a, this is a person in her recontextualizing him um, as opposed to deciding or thinking that she's going to end up with him. I don't know. What did you guys think? Oh, well, I just want to re-recontextualize this to point out that Aang is actually 111 years old. So really, <laughs> he's Robin the really... Cradle. If anyone's, if yes, exactly. Um, no, I've never been super comfortable with the Katara Aang uh, romance on the show. Um, just it's it's a tricky thing to play, just because of like the maturity difference in terms of the ages. Um, so mostly, I just kind of ignore it when at all possible. And the show generally lets me get away with that for the most part. It's not like Legend of Korra where romance is a little more central to the narrative until it isn't. And then it's just there. Um, more on that if we ever go to Legend of Korra. Um, but yeah, so I just kind of go, but I do read the stuff with the volcano the same way you do, Kate. So that didn't really bother me as much, but it's definitely going to be in the back of her head going yeah. forward. Marcus says, there's never a good time for a 15 year old to be interested in an 11 year old. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. <laughs> also I had it as 12 and 14 as opposed to 11 and 15, but the point remains. Allison? Um, I think I I read it like you did, Kate, where we know the visual language of when somebody gets a crush on somebody else on this show, which is that for sure they blush. And um, usually there's like that amber light, right? Like with Jet. um, And there have been a couple of other instances. Um, And... That is not what happens with Katara and Aang. Like she doesn't, Sokka says, he's, I forget he's such a powerful bender and she doesn't see him in that light. And there's no like hard eyes emoji situation. Um, And instead it's like this thing that I thought I understood that this person told me, which, you know, may or may not be bullshit, but which she obviously believes has meaning, which is what matters. Um, Could be something else entirely. It could be something I'm not considering. Um, and then that seemed to mostly be sort of the end of it for me. Like they're, they're obviously very close because they're going through this intense situation together. Um, and it clearly the show wants them to be an OTP of some sort. Right. But it doesn't really seem like there's going to be any time for that at all. Um, so I guess I just kind of, I haven't been squicked out by it and, if and when that happens, then it'll be more pressing. Instead, it seems like Aang has a little boy crush and Katara is confused by this one piece of it without actually being like, oh, okay, let's do this, right? Because that would be weird. <laughs> oh, that was creepy and funny. So good job, Allison. Um Thank you, thank you. <laughs> one other thing I just want to point out that Allison and I for the listeners have coordinated our outfits mm-hmm. for our um waterbending uh moments since Allison's in a nice blue dress and I've got my baby blue uh ice bear from We Bear Bears t-shirt on. Yeah, we're um, ready. We're yeah. ready. We're ready for the Northern Water Tribe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And I did not. I'm yeah. wearing, <laughs> I'm wearing black. So <laughs> I'm the narrator. There we go. Yeah. Ha ha ha. I'm outside the narrative. Um, so let's talk about our first episode uh, for today, which is the Northern Air Temple. Oh, and Marcus is in blue. Look at that. See, this is yes. great. Go team. Well done. Go team. Um, so our first episode for today is the Northern Air Temple. And uh, we have a call dish because 
I was surprised that you, even just like the idea that there are people at the Northern Air Temple, I wouldn't have guessed, Elson, that you would go to because all the airbenders are gone. Um, so, uh, well done. That's an ish, I think. Even if they don't, it's actually the opposite. Because like, it's not that they don't want him there. It's that he doesn't want them there. Right. But the dynamic is still present. What did you think of this episode? Oh my god, it's messed up. <laughs> yeah. These two these two episodes back to back, I had I mean, I had what we'll call a good time watching them in that they were very entertaining and I was engaged. But wow, um there's a lot of darkness there and I think the sort of a defining moment of the series for me so far, which is also a little bit how it feels watching this as an adult and also just kind of how I feel about life in general sometimes is they're all so excited. As long as we control the skies, we'll be able to repel the fire nation. And you hear the voices of like 60 children go, yeah. And then the one adult is like, Oh God. And it, it's so horrible because it that look says so many things. Like, first of all, even if he doesn't, even if he hasn't realized about the war balloon, first of all, no, uh, war is inevitable. Someone will always, there's always another inventor like this guy. So there's, there are inventors everywhere and they invent things and then they become instruments of destruction. We cannot escape it. Humanity is doomed. Don't know if y'all know this, um, <laughs> but everything is terrible. Um, so. There is always going to be someone coming up with some way to beat someone else. They will figure something out. They will find a way to fly. They will um, find a way to target machines that fly. They, they've already invented the, like, terrifying grappling panzers that go up the cliff. They're, they will find a way because that is how war works. And all of that gets put in that one facial expression even before we get to them capturing the war balloon. Um, it's terrible uh then i mean i feel like i should have seen it coming the idea that this man you think that the violation of the episode is that these refugees have taken over this temple without any regard for the culture there for like the history and the people who lived there before which is another inevitability of human existence and sad but they didn't have anywhere to go and it's complicated. And I think the show treats it as appropriately complicated. And I really appreciate that. Um, but the revelation that he was making weapons for the fire nation was like, just, I, it was, it just, uh, I thought this was the fun show. <laughs> um, no. it just, who told you that? I don't know. None they of us start, told you that. It's a 12 year old <laughs> with a flying bison. Like what? I mean, I knew I we said like, good. We didn't say yeah. Um, we it's, did. Say, we did say more fun than Lucifer. We just didn't say how. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. And I did. I did have again what we'll call a good time watching these episodes. Um, but this feels a lot like. Oh God, I don't know. There have been a couple other episodes this season where I feel like there's. Um, uh, this undercurrent of darkness that sort of peeks through. And this was like a veneer of light on top of darkness. It was just, and, and the show acknowledges that the reason that it has that veneer is because it, this victory is being looked at through the eyes of children and the adult in the room knows exactly what the reality is. And that was so distressing. Uh, anyway, I think this episode is maybe a minor masterpiece. I think it's really, 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 really good. Yeah. No, have I? <laughs> I really fully kind of co-signed everything Allison just said, um, especially like the masterpiece part. I think this is probably one of the strongest episodes in book one. Um, for all the reasons Allison's already laid out, like it's a refusal to provide a clear pat answer for, uh, taking over of and destruction of a cultural heritage site. Um, like they kind of like make it okay, but it's not really okay. Yeah. Like it's a, the show and Aang kind of just goes, well, there's compassion. I can, Aang basically goes, I can extend compassion because these people need a place to stay. 
But maybe don't destroy an entire untouched area to make a bathhouse. Yeah. Like, you can find another place to do this. Um, and the sh- and I really appreciate that the show provides a reasoned com- reasoned argument for both things there. Um, and I really, really appreciate that. Like, it's just really thoughtful. It's really considerate for the show to really address that without making it feel like doing a very special episode, which is something that both prongs of this episode very easily fall into. Yeah. And it doesn't. Instead it goes, no, this is a complicated issue. There's no good answer to this because we're refugees. Cultural site that was abandoned due to genocide. How do we reconcile this? And the answer is, we don't know. We have 22 minutes. And I, I appreciate like the honesty of that as well. So it's just, all of that is really, really good. And then you layer on the war machinery of it all of like, yeah, no, he's he's been making weapons. And hiding them inside an impenetrable door vault, how did he open it in the first place? Um, that plot hole aside. Um, all of that's really good, but then... My favorite thing about this episode is that you go, oh, this is how they took out the Southern Air Temple was with those scary fucking tanks. Yeah. And with the balloons and everything, because it's like, oh, that's what that cloth was. That was at the Southern Air Temple. Oh, the Fire Nation figured it out. And the thing that I love about those tanks in particular, love, air quotes, because of like a weapon of, they counter the other three forms of bending so well. Just immaculately well, because they have grappling hooks to get to the air temples. They flip around to deal with water and earth. Like, they're never off kilter. And they can just grow down things. And it's just like, oh, well, that's that's just kind of a perfect machine for waging war against three other things when your bending can't necessarily stand up to the other three elements. Um, and it's just like, Oh, that's really good. That's really scary. Please don't make weapons, Avatar the Last Airbender. Don't don't give any of these ideas to the DOD. Yeah. <laughs> um so all of that then baked into the fact of, oh, yeah. It's not a victory because now they have the weapon that we used to defeat them. And they kind of already had it, but maybe they forgot how to build it or whatever because it's been 100 years. Or this is um, better. Or this is better. and Which we know it's better because of the lid. Right, exactly. And that definitely will not come back in any way, shape, or form later in the show. Absolutely not. Oh, God. Yep, not drinking for any reason there. Uh, Marcus says, the destruction of the mural for a bathhouse was what I thought was the darkest moment for Aang. That uh, was the moment that put me over the edge of being okay. Like, quote, okay, it, this being okay. And I strongly agree. The visual there, like, they captured the violation and just how abhorrently wrong it is really, really well with how they designed that. The It just, it, it feels like uh, an invasive species choking out the life and history. The Like, the way that the pipes are coming through the mural and through the wall, the amount That's of really crack that there is um in the in the stone and everything um it just because it just feels extraneous and it's like and i think when you add because it's easy for this episode for our our inventor the second voice appearance by renee original on just a few um episodes and he'll be back in season three for one as well um normally that would bother me but he does such a good job that mm-hmm. you know Especially because we're watching them two a day, so like it was really recent that we were. I would go, I'm like, oh, Great Divide, Rene Bourgeois, Odo. Anyways, um, but what it's easy for him to just be a like a because he does turn on the Fire Nation, right? It could be easy for him to be a he was he scared, but then he ultimately did what's right. His utter lack of concern or care for the history here, and he he just he doesn't care at all about that um show and and that's best exemplified through his complete disregard for the mural as he was designing his bathhouse um pairs really uh, insidiously with his uh, the other things we learn about him and paints a much more nuanced and um unflattering 
portrait of who he is, as opposed to just an inventor who got roped into helping the Fire Nation to save his family kind of a thing. Um, there is, it's a, it's more nuanced and less, uh, again, less flattering toward, of him. This, this overall picture we get when you really examine the decisions you make like to get to a point where like, I want to take a bath. So we're going to just destroy this chamber and everything it means here, especially when you're, you're part of a hundred year long war that started with the genocide of these people. Um, yeah. And when your thing is taking to the sky in the air, nomad, you know, like, yeah. So it, it, there's a lot of layers going on here and it's, it's very upsetting. <laughs> yeah. Fun follow up piece is if you have access, you can watch the wind, the wind rises <laughs> and Hayao Miyazaki's semi-apologist thing about the guy who invented a bunch of airplanes for the Japanese during World War II. Okay, then. I say semi-apologist because there's the debate about the degree to which he depicts that. Um, so that's why. But it's still a good movie, but it's also very long. It's like two and a half hours. It's so long. It's so long. It's very pretty, but it's way too long. Anyway. Yeah. One of the things that I appreciated um, about this episode is is all of the nuance that it allows. And I do want to talk about the fact that they somehow also managed to make time for Katara to be just like a total badass mm-hmm. and for Sokka to just be science guy again. Um, like both of those things are really great and so fun and I want to talk about them. But um, I... Uh, thought a lot about exactly the way that they handle I'm sorry what is the inventor's name I have my Wikipedia I don't remember if they say but Teo's dad is like (laughs) Teo's dad okay that works for me um Uh, IMDB has him as a mechanist yeah I don't think he gets a name until he comes back later I think but I don't remember Teo's dad um one of the things that I appreciate about it is there are multiple reasons for the choices that he makes and some of them are like well you have a kid you have to do the right thing for your kid and some of them are bathhouse right Mm -hmm. and i was thinking a lot about we've done a lot of which is not the best time to be doing this but we've done a lot of comparing with um the harry potter series and what this episode reminded me a lot of is in the final book when they go to see xenophilius lovegood um who ultimately ends up god if i'm spoiling harry potter for anybody sorry uh it's been a while um but they go to see him because they have questions about there's also like a sort of strange um picking up people's cultural history and reappropriating it for yourself and not understanding what you're using thing there but beyond that they have to ask him questions about something and they go and ultimately find out that um that his daughter has been taken prisoner and that he is turning them in and hope hopes of getting her back. And it's up. It's terrible and upsetting. And the way that the book handles it is you think about how Luna, how the daughter would feel about the choice that her father is making. And without delving too deeply into it, this kind of seems like that, but it's not at all. Right? Like it's just, that much worse because his son is there in front of him. And the only thing that seems to, to sort of push some sense or at least shame into him is the look on his kid's face, the look on Teo's face when those doors open, right? Like that is the thing. There's no remorse or regret or understanding before that moment um, or self-recrimination of any kind. It's not, that is the thing that sort of, pushes him in this other direction. And I think that that is incredibly grim um, in a way that you wouldn't normally see on a children's show. And I really, really appreciate it as much as I hated it in the way I was meant to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we should also, cause we got to get to the next episode, but we should also talk about the fact that uh, this episode is full of disability representation and I love it. Mm-hmm. It's so awesome. Um, more disability representation in uh, sci-fi fantasy, please. And people who are at like, just that is part of their character. It's part of their history, but it's not defining and it's not limiting to them. Um, or the, the fact that, that Teo is in some form of a chair, he can't use his legs, um, is not like 
the defining thing about him. It's like the third or fourth thing I would think of when yeah. I think of that character. Yeah, the first thing you think of is he's a really good skywriting artist because that's a remarkable likeness of Aang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Marcus says he's the best flyer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's like when, when Aang is like having his fly off with him, it's like, if you're going to use the air ball, you're kind of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, also you win. You're the avatar. Congratulations. Um <laughs> And 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 even just the the Teo's uh, dad has he, he only is down to two fingers, and you get the sense that you make some jokes about it, but it's more to do with those fingers are helped persuade him to help the Fire Nation um, with their uh, with their war machines. So yeah, there's 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 a lot going on there. Um, the 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 other thing I want to mention about the scary ass uh mountain climbing tanks is it does give katara that moment to not only be an awesome bender but also to have the idea to realize how like get a little bit of information and understand how she can use that information to affect the tanks um even if it's not enough to stop them Uh, so i like that like you know like marcus's science Sokka the science guy was great um but giving katara those instincts as well to not Mm -hmm. just be able to bend but know how to take um, in that kind of information and like put it through the filter of how does, how, how can I translate that into my bending to help the situation? Um, that, that was neat too. Marcus uh, asks, did anyone else think Teo looks like Link? Noel? Oh my God, he yep, does. He does. He does. He does look like Link. And like the 1980s animated Link, not like late 80s, early 90s Link, not like Breath of the Wild Link. Um, but like early Link from like the just 90s. a little, a little bit like Breath of the Wild Link, <laughs> just a little. I, I'm, I just beat Breath Breath of the Wild. I just have oh, okay. to say that. But I've did been... you? Are you sure? Because that game's very long. From what I oh, understand. I know it is. I didn't find all of the shrines uh, because I didn't realize that when I beat the big boss, that the game would just end. So <laughs> I didn't play to completion because. I apparently was just too good at it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I had a very good time. I'm going to, now I'm going to go back and just like ride my giant horse, um, which is giant through the countryside, uh, killing little goblins and collecting rupees and like crafting things and cooking. Building that house. Building the house, cooking. I'm going to cook. It's going to be great. Anyway. <laughs> yes, he does look like Link. I mean, we could talk about this episode for a while longer. Is there anything else that we feel like we have to hit on, though? Because we should get to our next episode. I mean, Sokka the Science Guy forever. Just Sokka the Science Guy. Just great. So fun. I love that that is a thing for him. Well, and in our next episode, it's less Sokka the Science Guy, and it's more Sokka uh, Awkward Teen. Sokka the Lovesick Guy. The Lovesick Guy. Because we had to... The uh, we head to the pole and we deal with the waterbending master, and then we get our our um, why, like if if one of the tribes had to get like crushed, why couldn't it be the one that has all the misogyny coursing through all of their teaching of waterbending? Why does the south tribe have to be the one that's like? barely anybody left and it's because the north has the giant castles and the fortifications and like i know why but um what did you guys think of this and the decision to really center so much of of this first episode uh in one side on Sokka's love life and on the other side on history and like deep lines of misogyny and gender expectations in this culture i think that this is a really strong episode i think that um Sokka the lovesick puppy works really well particularly in the way that they um push it ultimately and tying it to what's going on with katara um and what an awful thing not having any choices in life is um being told what you should be and how you should be and your wants and needs and talents and skills don't matter is uh a thing that happens to people for all kinds of equally horrible reasons um in basically every society in the world there are no utopias there are, someone is always being told what they can and cannot do based on who they are um and uh, it's distressing to realize that this place that looks so magical and wonderful where everyone seems so happy and where especially with the like 
looks of glee and joy and satisfaction and relief on Katara and Sokka's faces when they're suddenly in this place where um, the water tribe is thriving. Um, knowing sort of where the, where that goes next is really upsetting. Um, but really the thing, and I, there are little quibbles that I have with bits and pieces of this episode in a way that probably aren't fair because again, it's a 22 minute show on Nickelodeon. I probably shouldn't expect it to absolutely master every single corner of like gender theory and, um, uh, the history of patriarchal society and all of that stuff. Um, but the fact that Katara gets that hero shot and very specific hero shot, which is not the look how triumphant I am hero shot. It's the look at me getting up again hero shot, which is, I mean, I got, I just got goosebumps again thinking about it. It's the, it's the image. It's an image that is instantly recognizable. Um, it's shown up in so many great hero stories uh, usually in a, in a situation that's where the stakes are a, a little bit higher, at least in a traditional sense, although they're really high here. She is fighting for her life and fighting for her culture and fighting for what she wants to do. And ultimately, because she knows she's going to be fighting in this future ahead of her, the, fighting for the whole world. So it, the stakes are actually pretty high. But um, the shot of her getting up, um, I think, sort of wipes away any other like teeny tiny qualms that I might have with this episode because it was so powerful. Um, and while I do not buy that this story would end with Katara getting to take those classes, I'm willing to let it slide because it showed the importance of saying, well, now you've knocked me down again and I'm still going to get up because that is who I am and what I deserve. Yeah. Uh, Marcus says, I was surprised about the misogyny there because I was expecting them to basically be like the Southern tribe, but bigger. But I guess it makes sense that they are different given they are literally on opposite sides of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Very isolated. Right. You can you can get back and forth. It's just going to take you, you know, months on an air bison um, or other means of you know travel. Uh, yeah. And it's the Captain America shot. Right. Mm-hmm. And Captain Marvel. And Captain Marvel. It's yeah. the yeah. shot in Captain day. Marvel where they all get up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's powerful. But yeah, the the ending really bothers me because yeah, it like the moral of the story seems to be just happen to have have your grandma <laughs> have been the the true love of this person or the person that he loved very much, and then he will stop being a misogynist piece of shit and uh, or still be that but let you be an exception and that's the win like an abusive misogynist yeah. piece of shit because again he's beating the crap out of a child yeah. she is a child um while everyone stands around mm-hmm. uh it's upsetting i kate i really agree it really it's i shouldn't have called it a minor quote because it's not the ending really bothered me but um it's like it also somehow inadvertently blames Katara's grandmother for the fact that this guy won't teach her mm-hmm. because he had his heart broken, which is just the worst. Like, that is not an excuse for being a terrible person. It is never an excuse for being a terrible person. And like, oh, wait, you're her granddaughter, so you can be the exception is terrible. Like, why didn't all of the little girls who are in healing class walk into that class with Katara if that's the ending they wanted to do? Well, I also think that it undersells the power and significance of the healing master. And like, that's a big deal too. Like those, those, the boys are really losing out by not learning how to heal. Like, why would you do that? It's so destructive. I mean, and maybe this is something that'll come up in the Siege of the North, our next episode. But like the idea that not only are you harming these girls and the fact that they're all tiny and so that they can look adorable. It, it, I don't like juxtapose. It's to juxtapose. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, well, this is for little kids. Like, no, that, that also, that is sexist too. This idea that, well, like the little kid, the little girls are over here learning to heal as there should have been a age, a spectrum of students. there, just like there should be, you know, like there's some, some, this episode has some really great stuff in it. But I do think that there are mistakes or shortcuts they take 
um, in the writing and some of those decisions uh, that undercut some of its messaging and what it's going for. It would be more powerful if uh, and more meaningful if there was a, a range of ages at the healing, if Katara was more uh, respectful and um, deferential to the healing master is all like, I know there's so much I can learn from you. Um, but right now this is my focus and it's, I, you know, I can't even think about healing because I'm so angry and upset about this guy, you know, like, I think there are ways you could have done that, that mm -hmm. didn't buy into, you know, the water bending master is right. And the healing classes are, are less important. And that's why, you know, yeah, like I didn't, didn't like that, that, that Katara seemed to buy into his narrative and the episode did a bit as well. Anyways, the, I don't disagree, uh, Alison, though, the, the stuff that it gets right is really great and really terrific. And I like that it's not a cookie cutter. The good guys are all good. The bad guys are all yeah. bad. Um, but Although yeah. I will say, I think now that I'm sort of putting these two episodes together through the filter of this conversation, I think the one thing they have in common is each of them has one shot that's incredibly powerful and in the first episode it's the shot of teo's father um secretly re like showing us what he knows of what the future holds and in the second it's that hero shot the katara gets um but one is 80 times more complex than the other which doesn't mean that that sh that the shot in the waterbending master is less powerful, but everything that surrounds it, it, the first episode is so much more interested in nuance and complexity than this one is. And it just feels like, um, like, like a little bit like a pat on the head. Like, I guess I'm going to, um, use Marvel comparisons to give both a thumbs up and a thumbs down to this episode, because that shot is Captain America. It's Captain Marvel. It's a, a bunch of other great hero stories. I mean, it's, again, it's something that's happened in the Harry Potter stories. It's happened in, like, any great hero epic, um, particularly focuses on young people. There's usually a point where you get knocked down and you have to get back up again. Uh, important. Great. <laughs> Sorry, Incredible. hang on. I've got smash mouth. Hang on. Because <laughs> you got knocked down and you got up again. Chumbawamba. No, that's Chumbawamba. Chumbawamba. Yeah. Um, I went, after I said it, I went to... Hamilton. So that's, that's the difference between us. Um, uh, although technically that is, um, you knock me down, I get the F back up again. Anyway, yeah. um, so there's that, and it's great. Um, but the fact that she shows up like, you're late, let's go. You, young lady, are the exception. All those other girls can stay in healing class. Let's do this. Feels a lot like in uh, Endgame when it was like, now here's the girls all skate. Enjoy your moment in the sun, ladies. Let's forget about the fact that the female member of the Avengers just died and we're not even going to have a funeral for her. Go ahead, fly around and have your moment of glory. And then the boys will go back to leading the charge. Um, it felt like a teeny tiny microcosm, not, not nearly as insulting, but like a teeny tiny microcosm of that moment, um, which I think is a disappointing and a missed opportunity still you put it on the scale and i put that shot of katara as more weight than the crappy ending but it still bugs yeah and i think your point about the weird lack of nuance especially when compared to the northern air temple just throws it into really stark relief of the fact that they really opted for a quote strong female protagonist narrative instead of doing something that really explored this idea of fighting against a cultural tradition that is misogynistic and patriarchal and just fixed it, but with only with your strong female protagonist. And that's kind of where she gets like pigeonholed in this because there's no actual cultural change here um, that we're aware of. There's just this one exception, as you've said. Um, and that's just really, it makes it really frustrating and icky and it just also hammers home the idea that a lot of these bending masters are dicks <laughs> uh, um for various reasons zhang zhang's whole deal makes much more sense than we have a bunch of traditions that we've never really explored or thought about because we keep the women separate it's just very very weird um and i do agree with marcus that like the fact that these tribes have apparently like different sorts of concepts of how things work 
it's still worth pointing out that the men of the Southern Water Tribe were the men of the Southern Water Tribe. The ladies didn't get to go leave to go fight in the war. They stayed behind. Um, presumably, there's not a lot of other women there either. The The population dynamics of both of these um, tribes is just something that boggles my brain. Oh, um, see, I've been assuming that that was the result of war. That, yeah, like, and which the is the only reason- people left are... Which is a reasonable thing to think, I think, but it's also just hard to figure out because one of the things that the show doesn't do a great job of is sort of positioning the water tribes in relation to the war, Mm. I think. Um, There's definitely like a need to rebuild, um, particularly for the Southern Water Tribe, but we don't get like a full sense of what was the Southern Water Tribe before the war? Yeah. As opposed to the Northern Water Tribe, which is just like, we're cosmopolitan. We've got a big wall. We've got all these traditions that we're very honed to. We have canals and this kind of a thing. And we never really get a sense of what the Southern Water Tribe was before this. If it was always this kind of rugged individual, not individual, but this rugged collectivism, as opposed to this more urban, I guess, if you want to go like urban ice city um i have a question do either of you remember and maybe i'll just go look after we're done with this um but the kids that Sokka is trying to train (laughs) um way back at the beginning are any of those kids girls to the best of my recollection no they're all male I don't remember because they're all very tiny they're also all very tiny they're like (laughs) well and they all have hoods so like yeah. yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I but hope. Maybe my head cannon. It did feel gendered, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it it, when we in the, the that episode, I think he refers to them as men, the men of the tribe. You know, oh, yeah, all right. of that because yeah. he's very much in his head about his role as such. Um, at that point. Um. So there's probably always that strain within the water tribe. Um, but we're gonna find that recurrent in a number of other instances as well yeah because he's also so insistent that um uh the tribe at kiyoshi yeah at kiyoshi that they're that they could not possibly be warriors Mm -hmm. i treated you like a girl and i should have treated you like a warrior yeah yeah Mm -hmm. (sighs) poor Saka. well what did we like about this episode then um like what worked um Oh, so, uh, Marcus raises an excellent question. So if Katara was the avatar, would the master have objections? He has objections to, to kind of teaching Aang to a certain degree. I feel like like he seems really reluctant to like... He's really... a dick. He's yeah, a dick. He, he's just kind of a dick. Um, luckily, not all of them are dicks, but most of them are dicks, it feels like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he would. Um, uh, though the idea, he clearly likes showing off his students. So having yeah. the avatar as one of his students w- would be a social like plus for him. You get the sense of that. So like, <laughs> although he does perform with his students as yeah. opposed to letting his students perform. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, of course. Now they're there to back up him and to make <laughs> him look good. Yeah. What an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Though one other thing to consider is that if, in the case of like a waterbender as the avatar is that they wouldn't necessarily need much training is sort of the implication just because like they've grown up with it, but they also sort of like can more easily call upon it from like past lives. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm remembering sort of the stuff from legend of Korra, which dives much deeper into like the cycle again um, about how all that works. Um, we get a little bit of that in season two, book two of this with earth um but yeah so maybe not it's just it's a little weird um and i can't remember if Cora ever mentions like that kind of an issue i feel like it does but i don't remember mm-hmm. there are two things that i liked well one thing i liked and one thing i hated in the way i was intended to okay. um, so i think that this episode does a really good job with like sweet tropey rom-com beats mm-hmm. um like they're just it's just exactly enough not too much but when Sokka walks off of the sidewalk into the <laughs> pier that was really charming and fun um and and I really appreciated that and then the revelation of her um engagement necklace obviously was you could see it coming a mile off but it was still like a well handled and I think it just it clicked all the 
buttons it needed to click. Um, what I didn't like, and I'm not supposed to like, is this is a thing I texted Kate and Noel yesterday. People need to stop shooting things at Appa or I'm going to lose my mind. Oh, <laughs> when those grappling hooks came for him, yeah. I like got off my couch. I could not deal. It was the first time that I had felt like, oh no, Appa is in danger. And it was my very, it was like, I just, I just couldn't deal. I am the person who, when I sat down to watch the first John Wick movie with Tom, um, we got like 10 minutes into it and I paused it and I said, Tom, are they going to kill this dog? I'm, oh, I'm spoiling. <laughs> no, I didn't know. I, if I'm spoiling John Wick for you, I'm really sorry, but it was in the preview. I just, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's best that you know going in. Yes. And he was like, do you want me to tell you? And I said, yes, because I'm not going to watch it anymore if they kill this dog. And he was like, okay, well, they do kill the dog, but you have to watch it because it's the premise for the movie and right. the dog is avenged. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. That's his whole reason in the first right. movie. Which I didn't know. And, it, yeah. and I had a very similar reaction where I just could not deal. And then when the waterbenders are like, have some ice, have some more ice. It's like, no, stop. Stop it. He's Appa. This is not okay to protect Appa at all costs. I did not realize I was quite that invested. Mm-hmm. Marcus says, I think the romance needs to have more than two minutes of screen time to sell it. I was good with it. I was too. I, I also assume this is the beginning of a thing because it felt very much like phase one. Like this was the first act of like yeah. they meet. I mean, we've got, we've got two more episodes. In this season. Yeah. So, yeah. We've got two more episodes this season for them to really develop it. No, the rom-com stuff does feel like really shortcutty, but it's so effectively done shortcutty that I just kind of can't be upset about it like it's just do you want to do an activity tvd <laughs> it's so like, awkward it's great it's, it's adorable. just so bad and katara just being there for most of it just to be like smooth real smooth it's just like oh yes this is well, excellent he's not from there he doesn't know what there is to do you know yeah no it's true um the the the, the heritage museum i don't know like what what do we do for fun around here there are no ping otter penguins to do sledding here <laughs> oh god we the the uh we saw a new a new animal and i met Was it her the little crabs no the crabs were great though no it was another water creature and it was like a beaver Mixed with a raccoon, maybe? Am I remembering this correctly? I'd have to go back and look. I don't, I don't remember. I'm whatever sorry. Whatever it was, it was extremely adorable. The only thing that I think we should mention is Angry Fire Kid and right. needing to be avenged. <gasps> <gasps> yeah. Allison, you're, you're, what's, what's yeah, going on there? Yeah, this is a strong reaction over there. <laughs> um, Angry Fire Kid. I, uh, well, so first of all, I'm very into Uncle Iroh and Zuko play spy games. Like, please. Yes. What a great place to start from. Um, I always love when the villain gets a villain who's worse because that makes it easier to invest in a villain, even if he's the villain. So like a plus again, this is a child, um, like a slightly older child, but a child He's attempting to assassinate a child. Um, and yeah, I just thought it worked really well as a B plot and as an interesting place to leave those two characters as we head into the finale. Uh, and the moment when um, Zhao saw the swords, I was like, "Oh no! You didn't think about it. you gotta you gotta hide those things if you're gonna have a secret identity. That's why Batman has a cave. Like you've gotta you gotta get a <laughs> like a wall, a trick wall, and you pull a book out of the bookshelf and it goes up like you gotta do you gotta do something buddy you gotta hide those rookie mistake again it's like soccer yeah. with the the fiery spicy fireflakes totally at least he doesn't leave the masks just sitting out like it's true. <laughs> that's, yeah that's the good thing like you can pass off the swords i think like fairly reasonably but the mask i don't know how you get away with that <laughs> yeah hmm. um well, do we have any final thoughts on either of these or uh, Allison predictions heading into the Siege of the North, part one and two? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think that the North is under siege. Um, I assume, okay, so I assume that at some point, at this point in the story, uh, we've got to get Zuko and Aang back together um, because... Zuko needs some kind of a win 
and Aang has to come off the table in some way. So maybe Zuko captures Aang. Okay. And then we have like a Zuko. Oh, please. I just want Aang and Iroh to take a, like a sauna together. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I want. Um, And then I assume we're going to get more rom-com from Sokka and what's the princess's name? Yue. Yue. Uh, I assume we'll get a little, because man, he got full on hard eyes. It was uh, very sweet. Um, And then uh, I'm going to guess that people shoot more things at Appa and I'm really not going to be okay with it. Well, Nolan, I know we're very excited for the finale. So we'll talk yeah, about no. that tomorrow. Finale's real good. I'm yeah. very excited to discuss it. Yeah. Uh, does that mean Thursday is our talk about the whole season day? Yep. Yeah. Cool. Looking forward to it. Definitely. Uh, especially because Marcus, this was your first time watching the season. So I'll, I'll look forward to your thoughts. Uh, Allison, if Tom wants to join in. Maybe he's <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. he will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he might. Yeah. Noel, you were saying any other final thoughts? Um, I mean, I'm just glad the pirates came back. Like, oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about the pirates. The ominous lizard parrot. I love those mooks. <laughs> Um, I think one of the best things, and like, even in like season one, they're already like going like, you know what? We like some of our weirdo tertiary characters. We're just going to bring them back sometimes. And I'm not even talking about like the cabbage man. It's like, oh, the pirates can come back because why not? (laughs) Sure. We could have a black ops firebending team do this, but the pirates give us deniability. And it's just like, yeah, it's so good. This is just very good. <laughs> they would have a motive and Yeah. Yeah. Um I I do sort of wish that when the ship had exploded that we had just heard just like very <laughs> and a flaming cabbage flies through the air. A missed opportunity. Yeah, a missed opportunity to be sure. <laughs> I am really looking forward to Noel, the thing that we were first talking about, that we first referenced that prompted us to talk about Avatar back when we were doing Lucifer mm-hmm. and uh, we were, we were like, by the way, Allison, you should watch it. And like, you probably don't even remember what we're saying. Is this my girlfriend turned into the moon? What? The thing I remember is one of you saying my girlfriend turned into the moon. <laughs> no, that's not this. No. Okay. Um, but no, am I making another- that up? One of you said my girlfriend turned into the moon. <laughs> well, and I think it was in the context of avatar. So I've been waiting for somebody to turn into the moon. Start to turn into the moon. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was another thing, but I don't want to give more specifics because okay. spoilers, because we'll talk about tomorrow. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I'm very much looking forward to that thing. Noel, um, and we'll talk about tomorrow. And I'm also really looking forward to talking with everybody with their thoughts on the season. So, yeah. We'll leave it there because we've gone twice as long as normal. So (laughs) thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Marcus, for hanging out and chatting uh, this this episode in the the Zoom. And we'll be back tomorrow. Bye. 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 Bye.